With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's Jimmy Stein. I'm Clint Lamb, both with Bama Online, and we're here to react to Alabama's 42-28 victory over LSU. Jimmy we're going to go ahead and dive right in. We're not going to waste any time here. Uh, a very interesting game. The score, two-touchdown victory for Alabama, obviously that's really impressive. They now have two-touchdown wins over the number 10 team, according to the AP poll. I think the number 13 team, and then, of course, the number, I believe, 19 team. Uh, I could be off on some of those numbers, but bottom line is LSU, Ole Miss, and Tennessee, all two-touchdown victories for Alabama. All three of them were at home. That certainly, you know, plays a part in this, but uh, it's also really impressive on a resume. And the way that this Alabama game played out against LSU on Saturday, even though it ended up being a two-touchdown victory, for a majority of the game, it was kind of exactly what we expected, right? I mean, it was very back and forth. It was all about, you know, key stops. Who can get those one or two key stops to get the separation that you needed? Alabama had done some of that early in the game and had some opportunities. A, a missed Will Reichard field goal could have put them up double digits early in the game, which I really feel like would have allowed Alabama to take over or take control a lot earlier than they did. But, you know, from that point forward, it was a lot of back and forth. Wasn't too many opportunities for stops there for a while. But then in the second half, Alabama starts to get things going defensively a little bit more. And the Jaden Daniels injury certainly played a role in that. Him going out of the game is, I mean, he's a Heisman Trophy candidate. Uh, you know, you, you can't ignore the fact that, you know, his absence would impact things to a certain degree. But really, Alabama's defense was starting, were starting to tighten up a little bit prior to that. So let's start with your initial reactions to how the game maybe was playing out, how it finished, whatever you want to throw in there. What were kind of your initial takeaways from the game? Yeah, a few things. I think one thing defensively that's kind of not been talked about enough because who wants to talk about about negatives? But, you know, Alabama gave up a lot in that first half. That first half was, was in fact, sort of ugly. I mean, for Alabama defensively, uh, Alabama was on pace to give up, what, 42 points and way over 600 yards, almost 700 yards which would have really been disgraceful, frankly. And we know how good LSU's offense is. So the first half, I think, was more defensively anyway for Alabama, more of a feeling out thing in terms of, okay, what works, what doesn't work, what adjustments need to be made, what do we need to do differently here? Um, and, and and there were adjustments. And, and I know that uh, uh, Alabama sort of famously adjusted all year at halftime. It's been a much better defensive team in the second half every week. But they really made adjustments this time around. Uh, and, and, I, and I know we're going to dive into that a little bit. It seems the main adjustment was going to a little bit more uh, nickel rabbit base, which is something we hadn't really seen from Alabama a lot this year. That was what we saw a lot of last year. But I think just getting more speed on the field and uh, making an adjustment in the secondary to account for Jalen Key's absence uh, were big adjustments that worked well because in the second half, 
it was very different. Now, it's not that Alabama gave up nothing, but Alabama gave up very little, just seven points, uh, even with multiple Jaden Daniels possessions, gave up absolutely nothing after Nussmeyer came in. And actually, Nussmeyer's a pretty good quarterback. Um, so great defensive halftime adjustments again, but that first half was pretty rough. I, I'm going to credit Jaden Daniels for that entirely. Uh, like I said this morning on the BOL board, hey, on my Heisman ballot, I'd have Jaden Daniels and Michael Penix and Bo Nix in some order. But f- speaking for Alabama, I'd much rather play Penix or Nix. I, I don't want to face Jaden Daniels again, ever again. <laughs> I'm, I'm very glad he's done because <laughs> that's the last time I want to see him play against Alabama. He's He is a freaking handful. But great win as you – started out the show with Clint. I think Alabama is now almost weirdly underrated. I don't know if we've said that about Alabama in a long time. Uh, They're better than what people think. And I get why they're ranked eighth in the, in the, in the voter polls. And they'll probably be eighth again when the college football playoff poll comes out tomorrow night. Uh, But Clint, uh, I, I think this team's a little better than that. And what I mean is, Alabama would beat a couple of the teams ahead of them. I feel kind of confident about, or at least, at least it would be. And I think they can play with anybody. Uh, I, I fully expect should Alabama get to Atlanta uh, in three in more than three weeks, four weeks, uh, I think Georgia would have their hands full. Yeah. Um, first of all, I think I don't remember at what point in the game it was. Some it might have been in the first half, but it might have been also in the early second half. I tweeted out. At this point, I'm fine during this TV timeout. Let's just go ahead and give, you know, uh, Jaden Daniels the Heisman Trophy. And then I, I had a lot of fans after the game uh, saying, you know, this aged really well. I stand by what I said. You know, I take I, that. I agree. I mean, mm-hmm. bottom line is, is Dallas Turner got a hand on a football. It ended up being intercepted. That changed the momentum of the game. That was not a poor read by Jaden Daniels. It wasn't a poor play. It was just Dallas Turner making a great play and Tyrion Arnold helping cap it off. Uh, but besides that, I mean, this is a good Alabama defense, a really, really good Alabama defense. We've described it a lot as an elite defense, maybe the most elite defense in college football right now. And Jaden Daniels was pretty much having his way with him. I mean, he was seeing the right reads. You know, Alabama was bringing pressure from certain areas. He would identify it. He'd know where to go with the football. Uh, he, his legs were absolutely incredible. It was such a problem. Alabama tried to spy him, had little success on that front. Uh, so just a very special player in this offense, uh, you know, is is built perfectly for him. You know, he's got playmakers on the perimeter, which you need. He's got a tight end he can rely on. Well, there were some drops. Uh, Mason Taylor had a pretty critical one earlier in the game. But the the point is, Jaden Daniels is a heck of a player. And even though he got hurt, even though the you know LSU lost by two touchdowns and the two touchdown lead was established um, before. Jaden Daniels got hurt. I still stand by exactly what I said. I would have had no problem with that special, special player. And when you look at the way Alabama adjusted defensively to try to, you know, slow down LSU's offense, like you said, they started off more in heavy nickel uh, with Justin be playing a lot of end. And then, you know, their, their obvious passing situation saw nickel rabbits. They adjusted a little bit, went more rabbits on their standard, you know, what they were using on a down and down uh, basis, and then they started going more cheetah in those obvious passing situations. And when you think about it, it makes sense. LSU is such a strong inside run team. They're not doing a ton of running off tackle. 
unless it's the quarterback. And so you don't need, you know, someone like Justin Avoy be out there. You need more speed on the edge. And then if LSU is going to attack you, they're going to more so attack you inside as far as their traditional running game with their running backs. And so, you know, it, they the the need for a heavier front wasn't as much or wasn't as important. And you also had to get more speed on the field to try to slow down Jaden Daniel, Daniels or catch Jaden Daniels. So that was a, an important adjustment, I felt like. Um, and just the defensive line of Boyby was fantastic. Played the most snaps that he's played as an interior defensive lineman of the season. I think it was 26. His career high in that area was 27 against Georgia back in 2020. So a lot of inside usage for him. Uh, I thought, you know, uh, Tim Smith and Justin Aboyby, both, uh, or excuse me, not Justin Aboyby, Jaheim Otis, both of them were pretty good on the defensive front. I thought Tim Keenan was okay, but he didn't have his best performance. I mean, he's been a lot more impactful both against the pass and against the run in some other games, but he was still good. Uh, you know, I, okay. I wouldn't say necessarily good, but definitely didn't play bad. Um, and so the defensive front kind of did what it needed to do for the most part against a complimentary stout traditional LSU run game with its running backs. The problem is, is everybody struggled with Jaden Daniels legs. Yeah. Well, everybody else is too. Once he gets back healthy again and he has all season, he he's an amazing scrambler, but it's not so much the athletic ability, which is, which is huge. I think Alabama over the years has played other quarterbacks as athletic or more so than Jaden, but he's so smart. That guy picks his spots. He has such command of the field. That's why I think he's going to be a good NFL player. Clint is, is he, he sees things really well, seems to almost always make the right call. Uh, And then just when you're just blown away by the legs He'll he'll drop some dimes on you too. I mean, he that that's why he's an NFL uh, prospect to me. I mean, you know, a lot of guys can get back there and run around, but <laughs> Jay Daniels can throw the football. Uh, help when he's throwing to a guy like Malik Neighbors, who's so next level, it's ridiculous. But yeah, he he is absolutely a handful, and uh, it, it's good that Alabama's got that that one behind them. Uh, it was hard earned. Uh, you know, you're talking a lot about a Boyd beat in, in the defensive line. You know, in the preseason, I felt like Justin was going to be a starter and play a lot of snaps. But I was concerned because he missed all almost all of last year. I, I was concerned that he would spend this year getting better or finding his game again and that he wouldn't be able to pick up where he left off. Well, he did. He, did. he, he not only picked up where he left off, he improved again and, and got a whole nother level up, if you ask me. I, I think a Boyd B, to, to my own surprise, Clint, is the defensive line MVP for this season. Now, we're, we're, we still have three games to go. There's only been nine played. There's still a lot of football left. Alabama's hoping, uh, and, and maybe someone can move ahead of him. But if I had to pick, okay, who's Alabama's best defensive lineman in 2023? The answer is Justin Aboigbe, and he had yet another great game and was a big part of Alabama's win. Now, Jaheim Otis has been hurt, playing hurt. I don't think we're seeing the normal Otis, but he's still been pretty good, and he's actually been more productive this season than he was a year ago based on tackles and sacks and tackles for loss. And Otis has been fine. Tim Smith has also, I think, had a very, very good senior year, sort of cemented himself a spot 
in the NFL, in my opinion. And of course, Tim Keenan has been uh, the newcomer of the year for the defensive line group in terms of not many of us in the spring and summer saw this coming, but Keenan ended up being one of Alabama's best players. Like you said, maybe not his best game uh, Saturday against LSU, but that defensive line did a good job. And, uh, you know, they, they were never going to spend a lot of time getting Daniels on the ground, Clint, but I think their job first and foremost Saturday was to, okay, let's not let Logan Diggs go off. Let's not let other backs hurt us. Jaden's going to get his scramble yards, and there's little we can do to stop that, especially with the 300-pounders. But we can make life more difficult on him in the pocket, and we can slow down or stop other backs from hurting us. Yeah, that's um, – first of all, Justin Aboybian just – he's making – really the breakout started happening last year, and a lot of people say he's breaking out this year. Statistically speaking, you'd be correct. I mean, the tackles for loss, the sacks – it's all on a completely different level than he's done. I mean, he's already exceeded tackles for loss and sacks from his previous four years combined. Combined, And he's been playing a lot of – it's not like he, he he went his first two years and didn't play, and this is like a year compared to a year. Uh, Justin Boyby has been contributing since he was a freshman and been starting some games since he was a freshman, playing a lot of snaps, and he's still just – he's making – he's always been a steady run defender where he's going to make tackles at the line of scrimmage maybe for a yard – or to gain always been an effective run stopping defensive uh, lineman, but now he's more disruptive. He's making more plays in the backfield. He's creating more havoc as far as the pass rush. And that has been, or has made a world of difference for Alabama's defensive line, especially when you combine that with Tim Keenan, who, despite the fact that he's a, a squatty stout interior, you know, nose guard, he also is a little bit more disruptive and explosive than you would think given his size and stuff. Um, and with Otis, you know, there was a lot of preseason hype. I was certainly a part of that. And, you know, he's played well. I mean, you can't say, I mean, he's been, he has been banged up and that certainly affected things. Uh, and he plays his role well. I mean, you know, Tim Smith, very inconsistent throughout his career. He's starting to become more consistent. One thing about Otis is really, you know, playing the role, which is actually very similar to what Tim Smith has done, the same type of role. Um, you know, Otis has been way more consistent from an earlier age, and that's very encouraging. But what had me super hyped up for him was the fact that he had freaky athleticism athleticism for a 400-pound man. I mean, at one point he was 400-plus pounds, he gets down to 380, he gets down to 360, eventually gets down to 340. He's 6'5", he's 340-plus pounds. And the athleticism for a guy that size is, you know, Jordan Davis-esque. You know, Jordan Davis was 6'6", 340, 350-ish, you know, somewhere between there. And so, you know, he was a traditional kind of nose that was very disruptive. Um, and, you know, with Otis... The, the, the athleticism can only go so far. And I think I've brought this up before, uh, but if he goes from 340 to 260, he's not going to be running a 4340 all of a sudden because he continues to lose weight. Eventually, your, your athleticism is what it is. And I think him being down there around 300 pounds like he is now, 305, 308, whatever it is, I think the freaky athleticism for a guy his size is now average athleticism for a guy his size, you know, because it, his athleticism did improve, obviously, and his conditioning improved, even though they, that hadn't been reflected because I think he's on some sort of limited pitch count due to maybe not being 
But as far as, you know, the athleticism being an attribute at this point, it still is a benefit. He's still a really good defensive lineman, but I don't think it's as beneficial if that makes sense as when he was 340 plus pounds. And I think that might've made a difference with him, but at the same time, when you've got Tim Keenan, uh, you know, and he's doing the good things that he is at nose, you don't want to beef Jaheim Otis back up, kick him back inside. And now you're, you know, what are you doing? Moving Tim Keenan to the bench. So it's been overall very beneficial for Alabama's defensive line. But if people are wondering, oh, is, is Otis a disappointment? No, he's been very good. Uh, but he's not this all-star pass rusher where he's lost more weight and now he's, you know, racking up six, seven, eight sacks. He's, he's not, you know, uh, Raekwon Davis or someone like that. Different style of player. But I would say he's kind of Tim Smith-esque, but way more consistent at a much earlier age. And the ceiling is much higher than what, you know, Tim Smith currently. Uh, even though Smith has been very good, Otis is kind of already there in my opinion. And so you would think maybe he doesn't ever get any better than this, but I would assume him only being a sophomore, he will. Uh, anyways, um, do you have anything else to add with the defensive line? We're going to kind of work through as many positions. No, just as I possible. love that explanation. That's a good explanation I've ever heard, you know, for, for a player that's lost a lot of weight and then he kind of becomes something else. That's a great explanation because, I mean, if he lost all the way down to 215, it's not like he's going to play safety. Right. You know, there's not a safety in his body, you know, so there, there was always going to be kind of a ceiling of how good he could be once he started losing the weight. And uh, and once he get, got below, like you said, around that 340 range, maybe you stop being special. You know, he was special at 340. I, I don't know that he's special at 305, but regardless of that, he is a good player, and he is helping. Uh, and, and the remarkable thing is he's doing it all banged up. Now, we don't know if he's 90%, 95%, 80%, 60%. I don't know. But I do know he's banged up, and it's affecting things. Uh, but, boy, what a great job all year by that defensive line group. Alabama has one of the best defensive lines in the SEC. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And the edge guys, statistically speaking, uh, not a whole lot. Um Granted, Chris Braswell did have four or more pressures. He's now got 37 on the year, only one behind Dallas Turner. But even though Dallas Turner has played quite a few more snaps than him, uh, Braswell has got more true pass rush opportunities. Uh, I think probably I think it's 221 to 208, so about 13 more. So, you know, um, obviously Dallas Turner plays more snaps on early downs. He plays more as far as dropping into coverage, way more dropping into coverage than Braswell so you know Braswell's getting a couple of more opportunities but Braz is you know four pressures he only had two tackles in the game so he was getting close he was being disruptive but you know it's it's hard to finish plays against uh Jaden Daniels and that's kind of I felt like LSU's tackles they had their fair share of wins at times but I feel like that the pass rush was more effective, the exterior pass rush, than maybe fans realize. You know, I thought those guys were a little bit more disruptive than maybe the numbers would indicate. And a lot of it had to do with they would turn the corner on the tackle, they get the win, and in most situations, most quarterbacks that are back there, you're getting a sack or you're certainly getting some sort of pressure and affecting the quarterback's throw or whatever. But instead, uh, you know, Jaden Daniels would step up in the pocket, let the tackles carry the outside linebacker just a little bit more upfield. And when that happens, you create a gap, which is why we talked about gap responsibility and discipline going into the game. And it would create a gap where he could, you know, take off and run through. And, you know, that happened a couple of times. So I would say LSU's offensive line, it is good. 
in pass protection. There were some times where Alabama was sending four and even five, and and just they did a very good job of getting a hat on a hat and knowing, you know, where the protection needed to be coming from. But there were also, you know, I think Jaden Daniels' mobility and escapability has also kind of masked some time. I think the sack numbers and stuff would be a little bit higher if it wasn't for Jaden Daniels. But so the edge guys were good. Obviously, Dallas Turner had the, you know, two huge plays. You know, even though I think Chris Braswell was more disruptive consistently, Turner was the one, you know, obviously the tip pass to Tyrion Arnold, that was a huge shift in the game. That was the one that broke the decibel record in Bryant-Denny Stadium. Crowds going nuts. You get that separation that you needed uh, or that opportunity for separation, and that's something else we're going to talk about is how the offense capitalized when the defense got their stops in a lot of situations. Not every time, but in most situations, defense gets a stop, offense rewards them, and that was huge. We talked about that going in. Uh, but Alabama, because of that Dallas Turner tip pass, was able to create a two touchdown lead. And then from that point forward, they were in complete control. The second, uh, even though it's kind of controversial, apparently, was the hit on Jaden Daniels that knocked Jaden Daniels out of the game. And Jimmy, uh, some people want to touch this and talk about it. You might not want to. But, you know, what were kind of your thoughts? And if you just want to say, I mean, it is what it is. I'm totally fine with that. But uh, it has seemed to create quite a bit of controversy. Yeah, and I, I shouldn't be surprised. The thing that kind of blows me away about it is, what what do they want? He was flagged. <laughs> I mean, I, I would almost I would almost get get more of this as if the official just didn't throw a flag at all, but he was flagged fifteen yards. Uh, but people want more more than a pound just a pound of flesh for that, I guess. Uh, I, I did not think it was targeting. Um, I, I I didn't see the definition of targeting. Uh, I I didn't see that myself uh to me it wasn't even really roughing but i get it i get that i don't really get the targeting <laughs> but i get the roughing and i think in 2023 it was that's the clearest a, that's a penalty. Cut targeting penalty of all time what are you talking about jimmy there there's <laughs> never been a targeting that was so more clear than that uh that's the part that gets me man um, yeah not the not the part no, yeah, not, not not the first time i've heard that uh the last couple of days <laughs> but I, I I don't see the targeting. I really don't. Uh, I I don't even really see roughing. But I'm fine with the roughing just because I'm accepting that that's 2023. That's football in 2023. That that's going to be roughing. Uh, and 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 Alabama was flagged 15 yards. Now in terms of just the over the top silly criticisms, the it was dirty. He tried to hurt him. Well. I don't agree with that. In fact, if that's what Dallas was trying to do, I'm really upset that Dallas didn't do it in the first quarter because we had to deal with him for four quarters instead of doing it after the game was pretty much decided. Uh, that that it just so so that argument is just silly to me. Uh, but you know, hey, a good play. Dallas uh, got to the quarterback, hit the quarterback. He calls a big play earlier. Dallas played great. Braswell played great. Was interesting. So much rabbit usage in this game, Clint. Uh, I'm sure your numbers show that that's probably the most snaps this year Turner and Braswell have played together on the field. What I've been bragging about all year is to those two because Alabama is primarily in heavy nickel. We don't play with both of them on the field very much, yet they've both had unbelievable years statistically. So yet another great performance by the the outside linebacker duo. Yeah, um, due to the substitution questions, um, 
uh, the, they they played more snaps collectively against USF, but that's not one that you really think about. But it was due to the offense and the fact they were worried about substituting, and they wanted to be balanced in, in what they could put out there. So they went uh, nickel rabbits pretty much that entire game. Both of them were out there for a majority of it. But you're 100 percent correct. That's one that a lot of people don't think about. In fact, I think most Bama fans just want to block that from their memory at that point. Um, <laughs> that was a that was a rough one. And how far has this team come since USF? By the way, just want to point that out. That was. Um, that was that was not quite Louisiana Monroe um, in in two thousand seven, but it it was even though it was a win, it's a low moment. Uh, that was that was a rough one, but yes, you were correct. And as far as the you know the hit with Dallas Turner, and it's one of the and we do this so often in so many. I mean, you know, you can talk politics, you can talk anything. Just people, they see what they want to see, and in their minds, it's clear as day that it's either something or it's not something. Uh, and this is an, and sports is the main one, you, but you can also say politics and another facets of life. You see what you want to see. And so I understand that there's going to be some differences of opinion and some people are going to be pretty dug into those. I can take a step back and, and acknowledge that I'm not definitively sure that the initial contact didn't happen to the, the head or neck area, even though to me, it looks very much like, he came in just below and then it carried up. Uh, that would be if, if I was the one making the call and this would be for anybody. Uh, that, I mean, if I'm really truly being as unbiased as possible, that's what I would say is that it looks like he didn't make con initial contact in that area, but it carried up. Um, but at the same time, I don't also, th I, I can also acknowledge that if they would have called it targeting, I can't go back and definitively say, that that wasn't where he made the initial contact. So I can acknowledge and admit that, you know, while I think it shouldn't have been targeting, you know, they called it. It is what it is. It's bang, bang. It's too close. I, I mean, some, you know, fans would have a huge problem with it probably and say that it wasn't and argue that way. I would be on your side as far as that argument, but I also couldn't say, oh, it's clear cut. Nobody in this argument should be saying it's clear cut one way or the other. Right. Uh, that's the problem that I have with it. It's not, and you're saying that because you, you're locked into how you feel about it and you wanted it to play out a different way than it actually played out. Uh, but anyways, um, you know, obviously it was a very impactful play in the game, even though, like you mentioned, Alabama was already in control. You know, I mean, if, if Daniels comes back out there, what happens? I mean, LSU goes down the field and they score, and then they give the football back to Alabama, and then Alabama probably scores again. So what are you looking at? I mean, you're looking at a 49-35 game instead of a 42-28. Uh, you know, 28. I mean, or do you really think LSU's defense is getting a stop at that point? They hadn't really in the second half. So, you know, that's that's what I don't understand. Uh, there were there's so much that would have had to have happened for it to have any sort of major impact on the game. And you're and people will say, well, you, you know, the one in a million matters. Not really. No, it doesn't. Um, anyways, that's besides the point. Uh, Deontay Lawson goes down with an, with an ankle injury. He got hurt. I mean, on when he got shook out of his boots, I mean, it was pretty bad by Jaden Daniels. It was, excuse me, it looked worse than it actually was. His ankle gave when he may, went to make the cut to stop, you know, when Jaden Daniels did. And, I mean, you, it was just clear. I mean, it, it gave, and he went flying pretty much. And he came up, and he was in obvious pain. 
So it made it look a lot worse. It looks like Jaden Daniels literally broke his ankles. We talk about that all the time as a joke, but it does look like that happened. Uh, but he hadn't had a 100% ankle, right? I mean, it's, he's had been dealing with it. it. Happened against Ole Miss. He only missed one game, and Nick Saban talked about it. It was, it was a doozy. It was, it was a rough ankle sprain. And so he's been playing through it, which is pretty wild because he's been still playing at an extremely high level. But, um, you know, Jimmy, it, I don't think he had his best performance, but I don't think it was as bad as some fans make it out to be. Well, I mean, it's the toughest draw imaginable. I mean, good luck being the spy against that guy. We talked about it a, a lot in the play in the play up to the game. I know I did about how to give yourself a chance against Jaden Daniels, you have to use a spy to give yourself a chance. But good luck to that spy because what are you going to do? I mean, it's not too different. Just imagine this is this is what it's like. It's not too different than if you punted and you only had one guy who could cover the punt. And there's one returner. So there's no blockers and there's no defenders. It's just a punt return and one guy that's got to get the, the punt returner to the ground. And you pick a 230 pound guy instead of the quickest guy on your football team, like a Kool-Aid. Now, Kool-Aid could do that. I don't know about a, 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 a even a good inside linebacker. That's really what you're asking Deontay Lawson to do. Tackle Jaden Daniels on a punt return. Uh, it's difficult. It's hard. It takes a lot of um, mental capacity. And by that meaning, you got to pick your spots. You got to know when to attack, what angle's the right one, when to be aggressive, when to let it come to you. Uh, it, it's very difficult. Not to mention the reads in the pass game that also have to be made while you're doing that. So, uh, you know, Deontay drew that sh that short straw a lot. You know, in terms of who's going to be the spy. Uh, but just defending LSU in general, you're talking about the number one offense in college football. They have more weapons than just Daniels. The back is good. The receivers are crazy good. The tight end's a player. Uh, that's a tough, tough offense to defend. So, and, and to be honest about Deontay, you know, he's he's come back. He's been hit, hurt a couple of times. I, I don't think we're seeing the same Deontay Lawson we saw in September. That's just me. Uh, it, it's not the same exact kid physically to me. Uh, I think the the minor injuries have sort of piled up on him a little bit, and now the ankle again. And, uh, I, you know, he, he's still a really good player, and he did fine. That was just a tough draw. The other guys are great. Uh, well, well, Jihad's great. I think Jihad's still learning. It's a complicated position. I think every now and then you're going to catch Jihad out of position or running himself out of the play or not understanding the scheme so much. But as an as a raw young talent, wow! I mean, just wow is what I say about him. He's a wow dude. Uh, Trez is fine, probably a little more limited in terms of even with Trez firing at a hundred percent Pistons. Right? He's not a first day one pick. He's probably not even a day two pick. You know, he, he's just sort of limited. But I say limited in this sense. He's a real good football player. That's an SEC football player right there. An SEC linebacker. And he reminds me a little bit of Deontay. I mean, in terms of he really knows what he's doing out there. He's just maybe a little more limited than Deontay in terms of his upside. But overall, we've said this all season, Clint. When Alabama puts two inside linebackers on the field, they're putting two good players on the field. Doesn't matter which two of the three. Even throw Blackshire in. We haven't seen as much of him lately. But Blackshire did play well earlier in the season when he was getting opportunities. Uh, I credit the coaching uh, Bala and Kevin Steele and the analyst staff like Charlie Strong, 
man, when Alabama has two off-ball linebackers on the field, those are two good football players. Yeah, and with Tresman Marshall, it um, I know that this is not – I'm not comparing him to Ray Lewis, but I'm using Ray Lewis as an example of what makes Tresman Marshall effective. You know, early in, in uh, Ray Lewis's career, stupid talent. I mean, first-round guy – one of the for just collectively, you know, all of his attributes together, one of the most special linebacker, the most, the best linebacker, in my opinion, in, in the history of football, uh, just absolutely incredible. Grew up watching this guy was one of my favorite players. I played the position still one of my favorite athletes of all time. But, uh, you know, one thing about him is that he early in his career, his NFL career, he had crazy athleticism. Uh, and he, you know, knew what he was doing pretty much from the jump, always had football IQ and intelligence and stuff, but he also didn't need to see it as well early in his career as he did late in his career. When you're in your 40, not in your forties, but when you're getting close to your forties and your body's starting to break down and slow down, if you don't have such a good feel for playing the game that, you know, exactly what the offense is doing, you know, where you're going to need to be, you know, how to stop it. You have all you've learned all these tricks of the trade that even though your body's declining, your mind has gotten to a point where it can more than compensate for that. And so that's why I think he was so good for so long is that as one was declining, the other is just every year he's getting better. Tresman Marshall is kind of late career Ray Lewis, where the limitations athletically are there. I'm not saying he's a terrible athlete by any means. I'm saying compared to Deontay Lawson, compared to Jahad Campbell, compared to Justin Jefferson, uh, you know, he just doesn't have the athletic ability that some of these other guys do. And I think injuries over the course of his entire career have kind of zapped a little bit of his athleticism that he had earlier in his career. Uh, But he compensates for it because he understands where he needs to be, what he needs to be doing. And so in a lot of situations, he's the more effective player because he's where he's supposed to be. It doesn't matter if you run a four three if you're running in the opposite direction of where you need to be. I mean, you're just running, you're just getting where you don't need to be faster. That's pretty much all that's happening. So, I still think Trez Marshall is going to play a role in this Alabama linebacker room, especially with if Deontay Lawson has to miss time. Uh, but once Lawson is back, assuming he's back completely completely healthy, uh, Marshall also is dealing with rib injuries, uh, a rib injury, and so. He missed the Tennessee game. It was two weeks later. I'm sure he's a lot better. Obviously, he played, but I'm sure he's not 100%, and I'm sure it affects things. Rib injuries hurt a lot. Um, So that also plays a role in this entire thing as well. Uh, I thought Campbell didn't have a whole lot of opportunities to make tackles. They didn't run the ball much outside of quarterback scrambles, and if he's not the one, you know, spying him, he's not in, you know, great position a lot to make tackles. And then they were targeting Malik Neighbors in in pretty much every other passing play. And so that certainly affected him. If he's not in coverage on him, tough to get out there and make tackles. So they're just, even though he didn't have the numbers that he's put up in some of these other games, I thought he was relatively just as good. Um, So that's something to note as well. Let's talk about Neighbors, though, because going into this game, I had mentioned that I thought LSU would identify you know, Neighbors was playing about 44% of his snaps in the slot going into the, the weekend. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, if I'm them, I'm looking at Kool-Aid, I'm looking at Tyrion, and I'm looking at Malachi Moore, 
And I'm saying I like Malachi more as far as matching him up. So I thought he would play more, a higher percentage of his snaps in the slot. And I thought that was a matchup that LSU would feel comfortable with, that they could get consistent wins. Now, granted, more he was only targeted three times while covering neighbors, but he allowed two catches for, I think, 76 yards. And, of course, the touchdown as well. And so, and it wasn't just more. It's also, you like neighbors against Alabama safeties. They're not coverage players to the degree that your perimeter corners are. And so not only did they play neighbors in the slot, but they targeted him 18 times. I mean, it was just, I think, they, yeah, they attempted 34 passes and over half of them went to neighbors. That's pretty silly. So, Jimmy, what did you think about the secondary's performance? What did you think about the, you know, the way that LSU used neighbors, the way Alabama chose to cover him, all those different things? Well, you can just know uh, LSU's playing a big game when they're like, hey, you know what we've been doing for nine games? Scrap all that. Let's just throw it to Malik. Uh, that just seemed to, you know, that's literally what they did. And uh, I would say Alabama did a good job, but it's just, you know, some things are just really tough. Sometimes the other guy's just a really good player and you just tip your hat to him and you say, well, well, I'm glad we don't have to play him again. Uh, you know, uh, you did call that. That was something you said last week that just ended up 100% correct, that that instead of moving neighbors around, they sort of stuck him in, in the one spot where he could really hurt Alabama the most, and he did. Uh he just had a big game, and, of course, he's got a good quarterback that can get him the ball. That target number is shocking, though, 18. I mean, that's so many considering their uh, their pass attempts. But, you know, I thought the key thing in the secondary, like like what stood out to me about the secondary this week, it was what happened when Jalen Key went down. I think Jalen had only played about 10 snaps before he was lost for the game, and then uh, Alabama immediately replaced him with Christian Story. I think Christian Story struggled a bit. This was probably a struggle game for him. Uh, he made a bad decision right before the half on a, do I go for the ball? Do I go for the guy with 13 seconds left on the clock? That was just a poor decision, especially for an older kid like Christian who should have known better. Uh, I guess it was that play that sort of led to the second half. Hey, we're going to do something different. And, and by different, it meant moving Malachi back to safety, uh, Terry on to star and uh, playing Tramus and McKinstry on the corners and in retrospect, Clint, in retrospect, man, that, that was a better, that's a good idea. Because now you got Terry on on the slot. Now where are you going to line up neighbors? I guess you could say, well, if Amos is on the field, we're going to line him up outside. And they did some. But uh, LSU just failed to take advantage of the fact, I think, that Alabama had to shuffle DBs. Um, so, you know, overall, I think Alabama's defensive backs did well. McKinstry played great. You know, he's he's just so – I think Sertan is the only cornerback Alabama's had that can lock down receivers any better than McKinstry does. I mean, Kool-Aid just covers guys so well. It just takes them out of the plan altogether, and teams don't even really test him. And when they do, it's like you've just wasted a down. Uh, and Terrion – Continues to make plays. One thing we talked about in the preseason, my last point, uh, you know, in the preseason, Clint, we talked about, hey, Kool-Aid's so good, people are going to go at Terrion. Don't be surprised if Terrion puts up some good numbers because he's going to see a lot of the action because no one's going to go after Kool-Aid. And that's pretty much proven to be true. Now, we didn't anticipate Terrion seeing so much time at star, uh, which, which almost guarantees you more action. The star's just in the middle of the field where a lot of things happen. But uh, overall, McKinstry, great. Terry on, really good. Trey Amos held up well. Felt good for him, by the way, 
He's played all his college career at Louisiana Lafayette, which is not a little brother, but almost a little sister, frankly, to LSU, right? And now Trey Amos is on the field playing against LSU after spending, you know, three or four years at Louisiana Lafayette. That had to be really cool for him. And uh, and he did a good job holding up. He's a part of that big win. And, of course, Caleb Downs is just good every week. Uh, someone is going to win the National Freshman of the Year Award. It may be him. It may not be him. But I know this. I'm not trading him for whoever does win it. I mean, he, he he's has to be the best freshman playing college football in the country. I mean, it's it's kind of amazing. And, you know, it's like you see a lot of guys who are really, really good players. They struggle against LSU. You know, even veteran guys who have been around for a while, and they're going to be, you know, I mean, Kool-Aid is kind of the exception there. I thought he played really well. Now, granted, they looked at neighbors, and they're like, we like this guy more. Let's give him 18 targets. They only targeted Kool-Aid four times, which four times isn't a, a small number in a particular game. But, um, you know, I, I thought Alabama did a very good job of taking away the other options. Uh, they at least, and that's what I think made this manageable for the defense, is the fact that against teams like Tennessee uh, last year, where it's like the run game was there when they wanted it with the running backs, Hooker was able to do things when he wanted to with his legs. You had multiple, even though it was the Jalen Hyatt show, you had other guys, Ramil Keaton and some other players making plays in some big moments. So. They had some different options that they could go to in the passing game. Uh, I thought as far as, you know, you got the Jalen Hyatt type of performance in a way, not not as much downfield as Hyatt had. Uh, it wasn't as ugly, but, I mean, 10 catches, 171 yards and on 18 targets, plus that long 46-yard touchdown. I mean, it was – so they got the Jalen Hyatt guy. They had the Hendon Hooker player at quarterback, even though I think Jaden Daniels was even better against Alabama as far as what he could do with his legs and the strain that he put on him and, and and things like that. But I think Alabama in this particular matchup did a better job of taking away all the other things. They took away the run game. They took away the the Brian Thomas impact. I mean, he had three catches for 36 yards. Uh, you know, Mason Taylor had three catches for 19 yards. Uh, Kyron Lacey had two for 39, so he did have that 26-yard gain. He had a couple of big catches. He had that touchdown uh, that was obviously, I don't know what Christian Story was doing there, um, situational awareness. And I understand, you know, he's a player trying to make a play, and he maybe thinks he can make the interception, can't play the ball, got to play the man there. Because, you know, what is what is the interception? It, it, it helps your stats. That's great. But it, it prevents LSU from scoring and putting any points on the board. But it was also very likely with 13 seconds left. If you, if you make that tackle, it's possible as you can't get out there their field goal unit out there in time and kick a field goal. So it's the same result for the team, but it just would have given you an individual stat. That was really the difference. And I and, and in the moment, thinking about all that, I don't think that's necessarily what he's thinking about. Oh, I want to be the star here. I just didn't think he thought about time left on the clock and how that impacted things. But you just it it can't you have to because situational awareness. And knowing where you are on the field, how much time is left, that's got to be in the back of your mind. Because, and I talked about this, um, Jimmy, do you know what sandwiching drives is with the half, right? Sandwiching drives? Yeah. It's you, mean, you mean like in, end of the first half, beginning I mean, beginning of the second half? Yeah, I, I, I told a couple of people I was talking to during the game, 
I brought up that term and, and neither one of them knew what I was talking about. And I was like, huh, I wonder if that's like a, I thought that was fairly common. I don't think that's a Clint thing, but I, I mean, you remember, I don't remember hearing it, but as soon as you said it and based on what we're talking about, I knew exactly what you're talking about that you get the ball twice in a row, you get it to end the first half and to start the second half. It's the only time in the game that that ever happens unless there's a turnover. Exactly. Yeah. And there, and granted, Alabama did have a short drive between them, but it doesn't count. There was, you know, only a few seconds left. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's Alabama's not going to score there. So it's essentially you get to end the half on a score, and now you get – and what happened in that moment and why it was so big was the entire first half, or most of it, once Alabama got that fourth down stop. And really, you know, uh, there were some other moments as well. But Alabama was in control. Every time they had an, or most times they had an offensive possession, they were looking to go up. They were tied and they were looking to take the lead. LSU, every time they were touching the ball in the first half, pretty much, it was, we're down seven and we need to tie. It was never Alabama's threat of, of losing the lead. They were never at risk of that until LSU scored the touchdown at the end of the first half. And now everything flipped because LSU got the ball to start the second half. So they score. Now it's tied. Now get, they get the ball again. They go down and score on the first possession of the second half, and now the roles have flipped. Alabama's never trying to take the lead in that moment. They're constantly playing from behind. They're trying to tie the game up. LSU never has the threat of losing the lead. They're only worried about either being tied or being ahead. And so that's why I thought that was such a critical moment of the game that they allowed that touchdown. I was like, this could be what gets them beat. This, this and the missed field goal, the first missed field goal from Reichard, I feel like it was going to be the two defining moments of this game if LSU won. Uh, luckily, Alabama did start to get some stops. They started some figure, to figure some things out in the second half, and that ended up playing a huge role in Alabama not only flipping that again and retaking control, but they were able to create separation, which is what we also talked about going in. You know, it was the you know LSU Ole Miss game from 2020 where it's like touchdown, 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 touchdown. That one drive where Alabama held Lane Kiffin and that Ole Miss offense to a field goal was all it took for Alabama to create the the, the separation they needed because they went down and scored. Now it's a double digit uh, lead. Neither offense or, or neither defense was stopping either offense, and so at that point Alabama was going to win the football game. But I just thought that that was pretty interesting as well. Let's talk a little bit about the offense though. What were your thoughts on? I mean, I understand this LSU defense is it's awful, and I really hope we don't overrate this performance and turn this offense right. into something that it isn't. But they did get the job done. They did. Uh, they had to match all the LSU scores and then some, and they did. Uh, it was now again a lot of this is on LSU, but really, Clint, it was the first time maybe this year uh, against you know someone other than Middle Tennessee or something. It was the first time this year that I felt like Alabama was going to score in every possession. I mean, if Alabama had the ball, they would score. It felt a little bit like 2020 that way, though, again, we I think we know why. Uh, now, at the same time, acknowledging how bad LSU can be on defense, uh, I don't think Alabama's offense would have done that in September. I don't care how bad LSU is. I, I don't think the September Alabama offense would have burned 11 minutes in the fourth quarter holding the ball. I don't think the Alabama offense would have scored 42 points against any SEC team in September. And I think that game can be proof of more than one thing. It proves that LSU is is still terrible on defense. 
and it proves that Alabama is better than they were. Alabama has improved. If uh, you don't believe Alabama's improved, you just have, you, you know, you're not really watching. Uh, this is a much better offense. They're better running the ball. Some of it's personnel. Jaden Roberts, who's gotten a lot of credit this week, that's well-earned and well-deserved. I think Jaden Roberts has helped kind of change the change the offensive line into what it is now. But what's equally as important, equally, to Jaden Roberts' emergence, Clint, is that Caden Proctor has improved, still a long way to go, still a freshman, still maybe not ideally where he needs to be strength and conditioning-wise. But Caden Proctor has improved, and we haven't talked about Seth snaps in several weeks either. So that's better too. It's kind of all gotten better. Uh, and, and then throw in Jane Roberts. Now, now throw in the fact that J.C. Latham and Tyler Booker have played at an all-star level from the jump. They, they were never a problem. They, they've always been playing at this all-star level. Uh, it's just that if you have one or two leaks up front, it doesn't matter that, that two of the spots are playing great. Just if you got a leak, you got a leak. But uh, Latham and Booker continue to be great. Seth improving, Proctor improving, and the emergence of Jaden Roberts. And now all of a sudden, it's not going to win the Joe Moore Award. It's not going to be the envy of all of college football. But Alabama has an actual productive, solid offensive line. That has been critical. And all for all the reasons that you mentioned. I mean, we're not talking about Seth McLaughlin being the liability as far as his snaps anymore. Uh, just getting that fixed is huge. Uh, you talk about replacing Darian Dalcourt through injury, but replacing Darian Dalcourt with Jaden Roberts. And the fact that Jaden Roberts was the third string right guard, and he's playing at such a high level. And it's not just that he's playing well. And he's, it's the fact, it's, it's kind of how he's doing it. And it's two things. It's A, it's the physicality in the run game. He's a mauler at the guard position. And so what you what Alabama wanted its offensive identity to be, they can be more of that, in my opinion, with him in the lineup. And two, it's just the mentality and the enthusiasm in which he plays the game. He loves being out there. He loves the sport. He, he loves getting better. He loves helping his team. I mean, just that is infectious. And I'm not saying Darian Dalcourt doesn't have that or anybody else, but I'm saying just it's almost like he appreciates where he's at right now, maybe more than some other guys, because he's he was third string entering the year, and he probably didn't think I'm 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 now in year three. I'm never going to play. Uh, I'm going to have to transfer. And he he gets his opportunity. He works his tail off in that game against Texas A&M. He wasn't perfect by any means, but he was serviceable. And I was highly impressed considering the circumstances. But then you wonder, can he stack that? I mean, does he get the opportunity to stack that? And due to you know, prolonged injuries and stuff. And I think, you know, had he been a, a liability, I think they would have been looking in a different direction after the NM game. But the fact that he played well enough where it's like, okay, let's keep rolling and see what we got. And it's just every week he continues to get better. Uh, you know, and, and like you said, with Caden Proctor, conditioning still is an issue. You know, I saw the play where he pulls and he wiped out two or three LSU defenders. And everybody's like, wow, Caden Proctor's playing a lot better. He is, he is. I'm not taking away from that statement. It's not an inaccurate statement. Next play, old boy gotten out there in space and ran a little bit, and he immediately gets driven back uh, on the next snap because he's probably a little bit fatigued. Winded. I mean, yeah. you know, so I mean, it's there's it's still a work in progress, but I think his confidence has been building, and I think that Alabama helping him with tight end chips, you know, with the running backs and doing some different things 
has really he he can focus on what he does well more because he didn't have to worry about what he doesn't do well as much anymore. And you know, uh, I think that's really really helping him. And you know, the there was a play early in the game. CJ Dupree helped with a chip on Harold Perkins when he was on Caden Proctor, and then he immediately he had a delayed route was a check down guy and Jalen Milrow saw it and hit him for a first down. And so that's kind of what you want. You got the chip help that you needed, but the 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 receiver was still uh an impact player on the play as far as being a receiver. So, you know, that's that's huge. And and I want to talk about that uh, or at least bring that up. Um let's talk about a couple of other things. We're going to get Jalen Milrow. This is going to be longer than an hour by the way. We're not getting the rest of this done in 10 minutes. But, I mean, it, it kind of is what it is. Hope people don't mind. But as far as, you know, we, we talk about, we need to talk about J.M. Miller and the fact that he was involved really early. Uh, you kind of thought, is something wrong with Roydell or is he taking Roydell's place? It's the, the RB2. But then Roydell gets involved in the second, or later in the first half and in the second half, and he's doing some great things. You're like, nah, he's not going anywhere. Uh, so you got J.M. Miller's role. You got the fact, you know, uh, Justice Haynes, he was in a big arm brace early in the game. He eventually got that wrapped up. Looks pretty bad. I don't know what it is or how it's affecting him, but uh, he's dealing with that. That's probably why he hadn't been involved a little bit more as far as this week. Um, and then you had the Kendrick Law usage. They did put him at running back. They did, I mean, they did some different things with him. I l- I'm loving it. I'm loving Kendrick Law and the role that they've kind of built for him in this offense because I think it's making things a lot more difficult on, on opposing defenses. It's more that they have to, to prepare for. It's more options that Alabama has at its disposal, and I think that's helping everybody. Yeah, he makes you really versatile in terms of uh, being probably Alabama's most fun chess piece right now is Kendrick Law. And I really look forward to not only what, what they do with him the rest of this season, but, but, but next season. I mean, when Kendrick's a, a junior and he knows the offense even better, and he's more confident, and uh, yeah. But 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 for right now, it's fun. You still still waiting on that sort of big play, right? The seventy yard touchdown, the the big play that wins the game. I could just so easily come from Kendrick, so that's fun. As far as the running backs go, uh, it was interesting that Jam was the second running back, and not only interesting, but he played really well. Uh, and, and I think when once Roy Dell came came in himself in the second half, and I thought Roy Dell looked as good as he's looked all year. Uh, since South Florida, which I guess was his his big game of the season, uh, but like like I've always said about running back, it, it really proved true Saturday. I know everybody's got their favorites. I know everybody's like, well, I like Jace or I like Jam or, or I want to see Justice Haynes. Uh, what, what I say to all of it is, uh, I'm sure that that you know we're we're all going to have our different favorites, but the one thing that I do know is that Alabama's got a good running back on the field. Doesn't matter who's playing back there. Alabama's got a good back in the game at all times. And that was really the case Saturday. Uh, Roydell ran really hard. Jam showed us why we need to be excited about the future. And Jace is Jace, right? I mean, you, you, with Jace, he's the guy that you know what you're getting. And that's a good thing. Uh, a good player uh, that's probably going to find himself with NFL opportunities. Uh, and, and I think Alabama got the play out of the running back position that they needed to win the game. And we saw them pick up the blitz a couple of times, uh, which is nice to see. Uh, I know Jam got one that was like, wow, he really did that. That was, that was not nice, you know, because we, we'd been worried about that. So solid play from the running back, solid play from the tight ends. 
in terms of their blocking, not a lot of usage in as past targets or past receivers. But uh, but I, I did see C.J. Dupree and Robbie Oost in particular out there making some blocks. And uh, I think Alabama's getting solid play, not spectacular, but solid play out of the running back and tight end position. Yeah, running back to me, um, you know, it, it was interesting, the usage. And there was – I know what you're talking about with the jam pass protection, and he had a really good rep. He also had a rep where tackle was able to get around – Caden Proctor jam went to go help out and he countered inside and got a free run. And, and granted Milrow was looking to the other side of the field. He got the ball out, you know, with comfortably enough, uh, you know, backside was coming. Uh, if he would have, if he would have had one of those where he decided to hang on to it too long, he was getting blasted in the back. And that just can't happen when you've got a left tackle and a running back, both, you know, uh, in pass protection, trying to protect his blonde side like that, that just can't happen. But still, I mean, you got to overall, it's it's way better uh, than it's been, and so there's still going to be some of those reps. But um, you know, I love the way that he runs the football. I love the way that Roydell ran the football on Saturday. He had been averaging two point nine yards per carry against Power Five opponents outside of the Arkansas game. I mean, he had a good Arkansas game. He obviously had the really big game against USF. But Power 5, if you remove that Arkansas game, he had been averaging just 2.9 yards per carry. So he has not been very effective in a lot of their bigger games. He was big in this one. I understand LSU's defense isn't very good, but Roydell certainly handled what he needed to handle. He ran with power. Uh, he saw it well. The offensive line was creating the holes, and he was seeing it. And what I like about it is that you know, sometimes when you've got a stable of running backs, especially when your quarterback is, you know, running the ball 20 times like Jalen Milrow did, the limited opportunities for multiple guys, they have a hard time getting into a rhythm. And what I thought was encouraging in this game is that they didn't seem to have that problem. It didn't matter who was out there. If they had limited touches, they were all kind of, it was almost like it was the same running back out there, just continued rhythm, comfortable. Uh, was we're seeing the holes they needed to see. I thought Jace McClellan looked really good. You know, he he averaged four and a half yards of carry compared to nine point three for Roydell. But at the same time, I thought he ran with power. He saw it. Uh, let's talk about the running backs out of the backfield because I mean, Jamarian Miller had the thirty-five yard catch on his lone target. Uh, Jace McClellan had a forty-two yard uh, catch and run on his lone target. So while the opportunities for the running backs in the passing game was limited, you saw them making a lot, uh, or at least a couple of really explosive plays that made a huge impact. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that Milrow was extending some plays. He was seeing some guys late. I mean, I just, you know, you can't say enough good things about him. Not only, you know, he, he, he struggled as a passer overall, but the improvisational skills, and running the football and stuff really complemented, you know, what he's kind of done well in the past. Yeah, Jalen's uh, continuing. I mean, each week, I think, I mean, I wouldn't say it's been linear, but it's been close to linear that each week he gets a little better. He adds something. It's like each week there's a little something added to the repertoire, uh, you know, and this week, on my mind, the new thing were the passes to the backs. I mean, he made big plays. Uh, and we'd heard repeatedly he, quote, can't do that. Well, look like he could do it to me. I mean, it's just a, a matter of gaining confidence and gaining experience. Uh, you know, I'm, one of my themes of the week was, you know, Alabama wasn't ready to win a game like this in in, we, in game two. 
are they ready to win a game like this in game nine? And the answer is emphatically yes. And I would say the number one reason, Clint, is improvement at the quarterback position. That's why they're able to win this game in week nine and would never have won it in week or, or game nine and, and, and weren't ready to win it in game two. Jalen Milrow's come that far in seven or eight weeks, uh, adding something every week, adding most, you know, most importantly, confidence. Uh, to the experience, and now, boy, making plays with his legs. I think he even surprises himself at times with the plays he can make there. Uh, and, again, he's 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 becoming a very difficult player to defend. I love that he was sharing the field with Jade Daniels because I think it's – while I don't love the comparison, I don't think they're alike uh, in terms of like, oh, that's the comp. That's not a good comp. But they are alike in the sense that they're both true – dual threat quarterbacks and the fact that he got to play on the field with the best dual threat quarterback in the sport. And you know what? I wouldn't say he outshined him at all because I still think Jaden Daniels should win the Heisman trophy. And I don't think Jalen Milrow should even be in the discussion. So I'm not saying that he outshined him, but he played with him. He beat him. He did enough things so his team could win the game and he did things similar to Daniels. As a matter of fact, you look at their passing stats, they're like virtually identical, you know, and and and, and Jaden Mil- Jail Milrow doesn't have Malik Neighbors to throw to, to be honest, you know, and, and he still matched what Jalen Daniels was able to do in the passing game, and he rushed for just as many yards as, as Daniels did. Uh, and, and four and touchdowns. Didn't, and four touchdowns and didn't have the interception that Daniels had. So – I think Jalen Milrow played with and alongside the best quarterback maybe in the sport. And uh, my hope all week was was Heisman, for, for Milrow was Heisman related. And, and I think it did play out that way. Milrow didn't play himself into the 2023 Heisman discussion. That's That ship has long since sailed. But I think he did play himself into the 2024 Heisman discussion because when next year rolls around, they all know who he is. No one in college football had heard of Jalen Milrow other than maybe a handful of Texas A&M fans from the game last year. Milrow was not a household name. He is now. And uh, Alabama's just got a good quarterback. Yeah, and also you have to acknowledge who they were playing against. And that's, you know, uh, while the stats look pretty much identical, Jalen Milrow was doing it against one of the worst defenses in college football, and Jaden Daniels was doing it against one of the best. And so that that sure. matters. And that, that doesn't mean that you take away anything that Jalen Milrow did. It doesn't mean that you say, oh, well, I mean, we can't compare the two. Because you're right. This is what Jalen Milrow needed to do. You said going in, it, you know, what if Jalen Milrow is able to put up similar numbers and do some similar things and kind of hold his own when you compare him stat to stat to Jaden Daniels. And that's exactly how it played out. And so, and we knew the defense is going in. So, you know, it, it's all relative. I'm, but that's why you, if, if, if Jalen Milrow would, would have done this against an Alabama caliber defense, you would be talking about him in the Heisman race. So, I mean, right. you, yeah. So that's exactly why you bring that up. You can't, but at the same time, and that's why when fans say, why are we talking so much about Jaden Daniels? I mean, when you look at Jalen Milrow, his stats look pretty much identical. Well, that's why. I mean, it's competition. Like, 
Jaden Daniels probably would have had 500 yards passing and 400 yards rushing against their own defense. <laughs> own uh, defense. I, yeah, I mean, it, Grant, I, I'm exaggerating a little bit on some of that. Not really. Uh, Not really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, but that's yeah. I mean, it, so you have to you have to take into account the opponent, but at the same time, at even against a defense like LSU, do you feel like back in weeks two or three or four or maybe even five, if you would have taken away Jalen Milrow's deep ball because he was one for six in this game. He was not good throwing the football deep. If you take away that element of his game based off of what he had been doing in the first five weeks, which was, which was not really running the football, uh, you know, what do you think well, what we have said about him? If he can't throw the deep ball, he's in big, big trouble because the intermediate stuff, you know, hadn't been working. He's not running the football. Um, and yet, it wasn't there. He still throws for over 200 yards. Didn't have any touchdown passes, but he didn't turn the football over. And it was his willingness to run the football, both on scripted or uh, designed quarterback runs and unscripted runs as well. That to me was huge. And we found out, I mean, and we kind of already knew this. He's also, we talk about Jaden Daniels setting up and manipulating defenders as far as running the football. Jalen Milrow can do that too. I mean, there was one play in particular. I think it was his second rushing touchdown. It might have been his third, but I want to say it was his second, where he attacks. He gets outside. He's attacking the receiver, where it, which means he's running in his direction. He's got his eyes on him, running down the line of scrimmage, and it forces Sage Ryan, who is in coverage, to hold because at any point he could just pull the ball up and throw it to him. But he got just enough spacing between Sage Ryan and the other LSU defender where he knew he could split the gap. Uh, you know, and, and so he immediately cuts up field. He runs it in for a touchdown, but it was his ability to manipulate Sage Ryan, force him to stay on the sidelines, not come in and, and attack him by keeping his eye on the receiver that allowed him to create that space and that separation they needed. And he knew he had the juice to beat him and to split the defenders and scored a touchdown off of it. And that is smart, intelligent football. And so he's a smart runner. He's an instinctive runner. He understands what he needs to do. And whether it be design quarterback runs or the stuff where it's not designed, it's, you know, him kind of improvising great stuff out of him. Oh, and uh, the now, now we've sort of seen it all, right? Now when you're going over the checklist of, okay, what all traits, what all does a quarterback need to bring to the table? Uh, the deep ball, the short ball, the intermediate ball, the design runs, the scramble runs, the leadership. Uh, seeing the field, manipulating safeties with your eyes. There's kind of this long checklist, and it's much longer than that. But the point is, maybe we don't see it all at once, but now we're starting to see a, a longer list of things that Jalen can do. There will come a time, maybe this season, maybe next season, heck, maybe 2025, I don't know. But there will come a time where that kid puts all of it together uh, and oh, good luck defending that. It will probably look somewhat similar to the impossible chore that Alabama faced over the weekend, which is stopping Jaden Daniels. It's just, you know, you, you can you can limit him in some ways, but then you're just giving up something else. Uh, and and that, that's what it's going to be like facing Jalen Milrow in the future. Uh, and again, what is it? It's, it's, it's confidence that comes from experience. And it's experience that just comes from sticking him out there, even when it wasn't pretty, uh, because it was going to get better. And it did. And uh, and now uh, you go into a Georgia game potentially in three weeks, 
that it seemed impossible for Alabama to get there after South Florida, right? Well, now not only might Alabama be there, they'll have a chance to win. Why? Jalen Milrow. He'll, he'll give Alabama a chance to win that game. And it's just absolutely remarkable to say that after uh, what we saw in game two. Well, and I would take that just a, one step further, and I would say because of Jalen Milrow and Tommy Reese, because I feel like that marriage is starting to figure itself out. They've gone to marriage counseling for several weeks now. <laughs> they've, they've been hammering it out, trying to figure out how they can make this marriage work, and boy, has it been effective. Um, the divorce rate here, I don't think they're going to be part of the divorce rate uh, because they are, they're doing some really good things together because they're, they're, they're understanding each other a little bit more. And you can just see it. You can see it in the confidence that Jalen Milrow has. You can see it in the confidence in the play calling. Tommy Reese is trusting Milrow in some situations. How about him on third down? I mean, we talk about it. He did struggle as a passer overall. But third down, I mean, he was seeing some things. He was working to his check downs. I was so impressed with him, you know, his third down passing ability and the fact that he would run the football as well. It's exactly what you want to see. It's the money down. You're going to have to convert some third downs to win football games. And Milrow, you know, is he Bryce Young on that front? Probably not, but he's getting better and he's more of a threat even when the down and distance isn't favorable. And that's the other aspect of this. It's like before you had to have success on early downs because you couldn't put Jalen Milrow in a third and medium or third and long. It's not where he was comfortable. He's more comfortable now in those situations than he was before, and that's really big. Uh, but, you know, Tommy Reese, got to give him a lot of credit too because he's really adjusting well the way he's using this personnel. I think he's getting a better feel for it. He's being creative, uh, you know, using Kendrick Law in the backfield, getting him, you know, he still hasn't had a carry or anything like that, but I don't think, you know, I think at some point he will get one, but it's not really a necessity, but they're using some different things with him. You know, at times he's, he's going out for, to, you know, catch a pass. He's, he acted as a lead blocker in a situation. Um, and so, you know, I love how they're utilizing him. I love that, you know, what they're doing is, is they're getting Jalen Milrow in space and they're putting that defender. That's, you know, they got a, you know, like Isaiah Bond, he crosses the formation behind the line of scrimmage. He's going out into the flats, and the defender that's covering him is left in conflict because Milrow's on the move. So if, if the defender doesn't, uh, you know, uh, stop, you know, or leave his flat, uh, the flat option uh, to go tackle Jalen Milrow, Milrow's just going to take off with the football and he's going to get a chunk gain. But if you do that, he's just going to dump the ball off to the the uh, player that's in the flat, which was Isaiah Bond in, on the play that I'm thinking of. Now, granted, on that particular play, he saw Bond open early. He had beat the man, so he went ahead and got it out to him. It wasn't really a decision to make. But these are the kind of things that that Tommy Reese is doing that is really helping put them in more favorable down and distances, staying ahead of the sticks, and you can trust Jalen Milrow when that doesn't happen a little bit more than you could before but they're not putting him in those situations quite as much either. And I think that matters. Yeah, Tommy Reese, uh, very young. I mean, very young, just like Milrow himself. I mean, you know, young, inexperienced, least experienced, starting quarterback in the SEC. And Tommy Reese, uh, probably the least experienced coordinator in the SEC. I don't, I don't know that that's true. I think it's true. Um, probably true. And not, so, so Tommy Reese is learning as he goes, too. He's learning how to do this job, period. But one thing Reese did not have at Notre Dame, Clint, was a quarterback like Milrow. He had uh, Ian Book, and he had Jack Cohn 
and he was supposed to have Tyler Buckner, and he's had Buckner some, but Buckner gets hurt. Then he had Drew Pine. He didn't have a Jalen Milrow or nothing like a Jalen. This is his first Jalen Milrow with all of his assets and liabilities. This is the first time he's worked with a guy like that, and he's doing it in a new offense. This isn't the Notre Dame offense. This isn't the Tommy Reese offense. It's the Nick Saban offense. So Tommy Reese had to learn that. He had to learn Milrow. He had to learn the rest of the guys in the QB room. We shouldn't be surprised that it took till game nine or week nine or that it didn't work great right off the bus. Why are we, 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 you know, the only surprise is that we expected that in the first place. (laughs) uh, it, It should have looked like this. And What's great about this season, Clint, is we've seen it all come together. We, we've, we've seen it when it wasn't good, and we've seen it improve. And there's no doubt Tommy Reese should get a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a, a lot of, of, of positive self-gratification out of that. He should certainly get some level of praise about it from the fans because there has been improvement that we've seen. I think with the last staff, a lot of the fans were frustrated over – it never seemed to get better. The part part of that reason is because it was always good. <laughs> but we've seen this offense improve. And, and number two, we've seen Jalen Milrow improve. And who's Jalen Milrow's coach? Tommy Reese. That's an excellent point. And, you know, I think the most impressive thing that I've seen out of a coordinator, an Alabama offensive coordinator, was Steve Sarkeesian when Tua Tungvaloa went down in 2019. Because what Mac Jones did well compared to Tua Tungvaloa, it was it was pretty different. And on the fly, he adjusted the offense. Now, he had a great stable of pass catchers. He had a good offensive line. He had good run. I mean, he, had, uh, he could afford to do that because he had personnel all over the place that could fit a change of philosophy or how you attack defenses a little bit to play to Mac Jones' strengths. But the the, uh, the way that he did that on the fly, I thought was really impressive. Uh, this is not to that degree. But we ha- also have to realize Tommy Reese didn't know who his quarterback was going to be. It was a three-man race, potentially even a four-man race, all throughout the offseason. And they had both Nick Saban and Tommy Reese had a vision for what they wanted out of this offense that they spent the entire offseason thinking that they were going to get out of one of these guys, and they were going to have to improve and be that guy to win the job. And it was that a mistake? Maybe, probably. But at the same time, everything, you know, they didn't know who the quarterback was going to be. You were trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to call plays? And it was going to be different depending on who the quarterback was. And I think he wanted Tyler Buckner, and he was trying to build an offense around that. But at the same time, Ty Simpson, he does some different things well. You could do some different things with him. His weaknesses, you got to work around them. And then Jalen Milrow, obviously a volume running quarterback, kind of a running back out there when he's running the football. Going to have the limitations as far as what he sees pre-snap, what he sees post-snap as far as reads. And so there's just there's all this uncertainty up in the air, plus what you thought your offensive identity was going to be which was hammer the football on early down, stay ahead of the sticks and play whoever ends up being your quarterback off of that. The offensive line wasn't what everyone expected to be going into the year. So they couldn't be that. And so he had to adjust so much given what he had spent ever since, you know, from the day he arrived in Tuscaloosa, 
thinking it was going to look one way, and it doesn't look that way when you actually get to the season. And so his ability to adjust slowly over time and figure some things out, I think he needs more praise than maybe we're giving him credit for, for being able to do that. So that's another point on him. Uh, Is there anything, uh, we've gone forever, uh, but is there anything else that you want to add to this conversation before we hop out of here? Because I feel like it's been a good conversation. It's certainly a good game. Uh, Don't want people to overrate this performance and think because Alabama's offense, you know, the defense is going to continue to be good. Offense is now putting up points pretty much at will. Just because they did that against LSU doesn't mean they'll do that against anybody. But, I mean, it was an encouraging performance. So do you have anything else before we hop out of here? Just the focus needs to be on getting better. There's three games left before There's three games left before you have to play your best game of the year. The best game of the year, the best game Alabama plays all season needs to happen in the Georgia Dome. Not even against LSU, not against Tennessee, not at Texas A&M. The best game Alabama plays all year has, has to be in the Georgia Dome against the Georgia Bulldogs, or in in Atlanta (laughs) against the Georgia Bulldogs. That's where it's got to be its best. And, hey, your offense, hey, you just put up some numbers, but that was against maybe the worst defense in the league, including Vanderbilt. That was the worst defense in the SEC. And the defense, there was a while you were on pace to give up more than you gave up in Knoxville last year. So, it, it ain't all perfect. It needs to get better. Offense, defense. Milrow, need to get better. Proctor, need to get better. All of those things, everyone on the team needs to improve because this team may have played itself into one heck of an opportunity, uh, but that opportunity will require your best performance of the year. That's four weeks away, hopefully. Yeah, and uh, Kentucky's going to be tough. Going to Lexington, Um you know, I think that that's it, it, this could be a letdown game. There was a lot of emotion involved in this LSU game. You got some guys nicked up. Uh, you know, you get past this major obstacle that you would kind of had circled on the calendar for a minute because you knew that they were going to be so tough offensively. Now it's you know, can you keep up? Can you maintain the intensity, the 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 focus, all those different things in a tough road matchup against Le- uh, Kentucky and Lexington, and then also. You're, you know, you're getting Hugh Freeze's best called played, you know, best best play calling game of the year in in Jordan Hare Stadium. You know, you're getting, the, you know, that entire fan base. I mean, they're probably going to lock up bowl, uh, bowl eligibility prior to, but if they don't, what better way than to hand Alabama a loss in Jordan Hare Stadium and get yourself bowl eligible if that ends up happening? There's just there's going to be a lot of emotion, and you can change how you're perceived or how the season is perceived by pulling that upset. They're going to have, you know. Gus Malzahn used to throw the kitchen sink at Alabama, you know, every year pretty much, especially when they were in Jordan Hare Stadium. Hugh Freeze, I'm sure, is going to do the same. So they got some tough games ahead, but you're right. As far as playing their best game, that's coming up in a few weeks, uh, you know, if they're able to get past these two SEC opponents and and get some wins, then, you know, that Georgia is going to be a big one. And just considering where we thought this team was heading, uh, I would say at halftime of the Ole Miss game, uh, based off of Texas 10-point loss, USF, terrible. What you saw against Ole Miss in the first half, I'm sure you know anybody at halftime, if you'd have said, they're, they're going to be at a really good spot in mid-November to win the SEC West and play Georgia for a chance to college football playoff. A lot of Bama fans probably, if they're being honest, would have called you a liar. So that's, that's a, a huge deal. But uh, Jimmy, as always, I appreciate you hopping on here with me. A uh, longer conversation than normal, but this was a huge game. There was a lot to react to, and we're long-winded. Uh, so that's just <laughs> that's part of it. Uh, and, we, yeah, once again, I hope people don't mind. But we certainly enjoyed it. I know I did. 
and we will talk to you guys soon. But Jimmy, as always, brother, I appreciate you hopping on here with me, brother. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.